My name is Kim Rothwell, and this is The Return to Embodiment. In this conversation, I'm speaking with Grace Harmon. Grace is a graduate of Columbia College's Dance Movement Therapy and Counseling Program. And while she was a student in the program, she lost her mother. This seminal event has formed her, guided her, and led to what she considers her life work, being an embodied grief guide. Grace offers sessions for adults and for therapists who are trying to learn how to better move with grief. Grace talks about how being able to relate with our grief in a way that moves with it is a life skill because so much of life involves loss and allowing ourselves to find movement with that loss and that grief can make all the difference in our lives and how we're able to live and relate to one another and this precious world among us. I'm Kim Rothwell, and this is The Return to Embodiment. It was nice to see you. Yeah, it's so nice to see you. So you actually are wearing your mom's clothing? The nightgown is hers, or the, I think it's a, I think she wore it as a maternity dress, but I wear it as a nightgown. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was like, this feels, this feels fitting. For this interview. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're you're in a cozy nightgown. Yes, yes. So are you ready for the question? You ready to start? Yeah, I'm ready. So I like to begin with how is embodiment to you? So I actually did a little movement writing practice earlier in preparation. And so I just wrote like a list of words mm. and um, I'll just say the words that, I, that my body came up with. Um, natural, skin to skin, comforting and comfortable, soothing, primal and primary, unabashed, clear, grounding and teacher. So there's a lot there, but that's what, that's what I came up with. Yeah. Imagery too. Is there a progression in the words or like a cycle in the words? Just like sort of both consciousness thing after an authentic movement session. So pretty much always when I start authentic movement, I'm on the ground, like in some sort of ball or like lying on my back. Um, so it feels natural, natural that like the word natural (laughs) is the first word I wrote. Um, and like skin to skin was next. So there's something about the, just feels very, um, easy for me. It feels very, um, like it's kind of a resource that I can go to at any time. I think it's like the only resource that I know I can go to all the time. Yeah. So it feels very easy for me to sort of go into my body and to come back to that as the point of connection or just the point of being. 
Yeah. So I'm hearing you describe your movement in an authentic movement practice, which is one of the places where I met you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. When um, Janine and I facilitated the authentic movement practice. And I think that was right in the midst of your grief. Is that correct over your mom? You're yeah. yeah, my first memory of us interacting actually is that. And specifically what you said, and I come back to it often, actually. Um, I think you said something like, I see, I see you in your grief and a willingness to be in that. So, yeah. Whoa. What it is. Yeah. I come back to that often. Because that's where you've chosen to go with your focus, is being mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. I know what it looks like when someone is willing to be in it versus when someone is pushing it away or trying to stuff it down or trying to not be in it or trying to distract from it. You know, all the things that humans do with grief. I see the difference in what the body does. Yeah. Can you speak to that a little bit? What do you see that is different between the of the word that's coming to me and you can totally correct me, but like a yielding into mm-hmm, mm-hmm, as totally. opposed to uh, resisting mm-hmm. the grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's something about um, time. So there's something where that happens that I see when others or even, you know, myself, when we resist grief, that you sort of have to speed up. To resist it like you have to either talk more quickly or you have to move your body at a, in a particular speed or you have to like you know get to your phone and start texting really quickly like you have to it's a lot of energy to distract um and I think it's energy that people are very used to exerting and very um often more comfortable with than the surrendering or the yielding that's the most noticeable thing I would say is like the something speeds up and there's usually some sort of tension that I witness in the shoulders or the jaw those are the two big areas that I see like change when people are trying to not be in their grief I'm having this image uh midwifery with with what you're doing it's so cool someone once called me a midwife of grief yeah because there is no rushing that (laughs) you can try but you just have to go through the process and it's a little bit the same there's no rushing the grieving process and trying to rush through it or get over it or just function sure inhibits that process of and and I'm kind of at a loss for words and I'm hoping you can help me just uh feels like a um you talked at the very beginning about the body and embodiment being a resource that's mm-hmm. always there and the two positions that you described were like and again this is my word but as you were describing it it sounded like a child's pose kind of thing like a ball on the ground i'm imagining um even forehead resting potentially um and then lying on the back both of which are like very early for humans yeah. to 
require connection to the earth. Um, and both of which allow that, I, I wonder, I wonder whether they're kind of allowing that, um, that yield. Mm -hmm. Right. When I have a session and someone starts outstanding, during, I don't do like pure authentic movement, but it's definitely based in authentic movement. Um, and it's always interesting to me when someone starts out in standing, when I'm like, okay, so inviting the grief to move you. Because when my grief is moving me, I'm never standing. <laughs> like I might get there eventually, but I'm never starting out standing. I'm always starting out in this like soft sort of rested, um, nestled, like almost, you know, quite vulnerable position. Um, and maybe that's actually like a curiosity that's coming up now is like, is that standing, is that starting with standing a way of trying to protect against the grief? Maybe for some people, maybe not, you know, I think it's different for everybody, but, or a way of like starting to, trying to start out stronger than you feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, parts work is coming up for me, like more of a presentation, right? When we come to vertical, we're conscious of our relationship yes. with the world, with others. And then when we're in a child's pose with our forehead on the ground, or when we're not taking in other one of the things that's coming up for me is when I was practicing authentic movement and I was going through infertility, one of my grieving postures was my forehead just moving on mm. hands, just uh, kind of in that child's pose position. But I was, I was just rocking my forehead on the backs of my hands. Mm. And to this day, if I find myself in that position, it's an indication. It's yes. like, you've got some work to do here. If something needs to happen here, like stay here, kind of. I've been thinking about that a lot just in this past week because, you know, I, I evacuated, me and my partner evacuated from New Orleans and um, there's, I've been feeling so much grief, mostly about like the climate destruction that's happening and like, massive grief that's in New Orleans and like the ways that climate disaster will always magnify inequities like just so much grief about all of these things and I realized that like my left hip was hurting and my right and no, not right the space in between my shoulder blades like kind of the back of my heart chakra like both of those parts were sort of fired up and I was like and that's and those are the parts of my body that kind of show themselves to me after my mom died like the same sensations you know um and I was like oh, okay so this happens even when someone hasn't died like this is just what grief is in my body this is this is how I know that there's work to be done um without even having to really name like what the grief is because I've been through the process of surrendering and yielding to the grief and really understanding what what my body does in grief, you know, um, that's how it can, be, you know, become a resource. Like, okay, now that I know that that's what that is, then I can work with that and move towards it and, you know, be intentional about it. But if I was just like, oh, something's wrong with me, like, I should probably take a painkiller, then that would be fine. But like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work with the actual root cause. I love that. I'm imagining that part of what you do is you help people become conscious, 
grief patterning in their own body. A lot of what I talk about is like the difference between moving towards and moving away from sensation. And that we live in a very, we meaning, you know, dominant US white patriarchal culture. Um, we live in a very like sensation averse <laughs> culture. Um, at least when the sensation is, is anything but like feeling great, like super extroverted. Um, so like what happens when we actually try to move towards a sensation and instead of using, instead of, you know, the grief coming up in whatever way it comes up, you know, whether that's like feeling tears overflow or pain in your back or pain in your hips or pain, like whatever, there's so many ways that grief can come up more anxious um instead of ignoring that because that's you know that's like a light bulb that's like a cue that's coming up instead of ignoring that and turning away from the sensation what happens when you create the space to move towards the sensation because as we know like we can't do that all the time we can't just like be <laughs> in our grief all day long um as much as we want to I mean at least I really wanted to be in my grief all day long some people really don't but most people have jobs and families and whatever and you have to live your life and it's really about making the time to move towards the sensations it's not about I think sometimes people hear that and they might think like so I'm just going to be like crying all the damn day <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well you might but but not necessarily on purpose. Like if you create the time to be in your grief and to go towards the sensations and you're actually gonna be less overwhelmed by grief throughout your day, which is the opposite of what um, most people think consciously or unconsciously. If, when we avoid something, we're organizing around it, right? We're already tending to organize around this thing in mm -hmm. avoidance. Mm -hmm. What happens if we had some time devoted to orienting around it intentionally with compassion, with curiosity, with, with, I, I love this experimentation you're describing of moving towards and moving away and the choice, mm -hmm. the empowerment of that too. Mm -hmm. There is a place to come to standing and to go back and take care of your family and to do your job. And then you know also that I can go to Grace because she's gonna hold space for that proximity to it so that I can move closer yeah. and start to change my relationship with it, change the energy of the sensations. Once we get to know our grief, then it doesn't feel so overwhelming and overpowering. Like I think, I know at least at the beginning of like early grief, it's like, God, if I just like touch it, then it's gonna explode, right? It's just gonna like topple over. And one, like, yes, that happens 100%. But if you never create the time to actually try to surrender to that explosion or that bubbling over or that, you know, that well, then you never get to know what you're dealing with. Your body never gets the chance to get to know what, you're, what it's holding. And then it will always become like, you know, if we're talking about parts work, like um, 
what's that word? An exile. <laughs> like an exile or like, you know, it'll be, it'll be scary. It'll be taboo. And I am, and I'm really trying to encourage people to not do what the culture does, which is to make it taboo, um, which is to put on the back burner, which is to push it aside and say, no, I actually need to be with it and get to know it. Once I do that, it becomes so much easier to live with it. It's not about trying to get over it or to push through it. It's about how do I learn to live with it in a way that doesn't make my body want to close up in a way that doesn't make me hard, in a way that doesn't make me push away relationships or new experiences, right? So much of that is so common, right? The body just wants to protect. Um, but ultimately what that protection is, is just, it's not true. Like it's trying to protect against future pain. Um, and that can happen. So what an opportunity to learn how to be vulnerable in really raw times, you know? So the word courage is coming up for me, like, and, you know, the root, the root of courage is heart, core, core, it's like the French word for heart. So I'm wondering about how that factors in, how you work and also how you yourself found this, this way of processing grief. Mm. Thank you for naming it as courage, because it is like super duper brave, right? Um, I guess the way to how I found it myself is sort of twofold. So one, one thing is I'm just one of those really lucky people that like comes from a family where emotions are not like pushed aside or like um, judged in any way. So right after my mom died, and you know, we sat Shiva for a week and you know, people would come and give food and just, you know, hold space, sit with us. And I was like in my pajamas and just like wailing on the ground the whole week. And people just came and didn't say anything, didn't judge it, didn't try to make me feel bad. Um, and so I had that really, that really early like primal experience, both like in my family before that, in that time of being witnessed, like being really witnessed in that, um, in that pain. And then when I, so that was like the first period. Cause I think, I think Columbia let me take off like a month of class, which is amazing and, and rare <laughs> in the world of taking off for grief. Um, but when I, when so that was like the first hurdle I was like, okay, I can do grief if I'm in, bed in my couch like most of the day like I can do that <laughs> but then the second hurdle is like how do you get back to life right <laughs> and how do you um how do you continue on when your heart is broken you know um and so that was many layered and complex process but you know I remember I asked Chris Larson I was like Chris like how do I do this how do I how do I live with grief how to do this. I don't, I don't know how to do this. And he was like, you ritualize it. And he just kind of said it like that. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> and that's what I did. And that's what I tell my clients to do. And that's like what my whole work is really built around is this idea of ritualizing grief. Um, 
And so I already had a, you know, a meditation practice in the morning. So that time just became my grief time. And I, I describe it a lot as like the time to just like unload before you have to close back up. Um, because in that early grief, like there's no way to be raw like that and function. It's just impossible. Um, but there has to be a time to be open and to unload. Like there just has to be. Otherwise it becomes far too painful and it could get stuck very easily. Um, so I just, yeah, I had my grief time in the morning. I remember those early weeks and months of every day is just a reminder of the loss, right? That, that's how it is for all grief. It's like, okay, here it is again, right? So I'd fall out of bed and like crawl over to my altar and usually just cry for like 30 minutes. And I would like get dressed and get breakfast and walk usually down like a cold Chicago street towards the bus. <laughs> just be like, okay, I've done my grief time. doesn't mean I'm, and what I always say is like, this does not mean that you're not grieving throughout the day. Like <laughs> there were certainly many times when I have cried in class and cried on the bus and cried on the train. And I actually really encourage open, open crying as much as you can. Um, that was kind of my process for, for finding, finding how to carry my grief. And what happened was I, like, it totally changed me. I mean, it, it completely, like, busted open my spirituality. My creative world was very rich. Um, I mean, it still is rich, but the things that I wrote and the drawings I did and, like, my grief was just kind of pouring out of me, you know, in so many different ways. It changed my relationships. It changed how I related to myself. Like, it just totally shifted who I am, you know, at a really fundamental level. Um, and what was the second question? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just um, I'm sitting here with this and yeah. I'm struck by the beauty of sitting Shiva. If it's truly a space for what you are able to do, mm -hmm. right? And how amazing it is that then the Jewish culture, there's a process mm -hmm. for grief. And, and there are processes in many cultures, but, uh, and, and the wisdom of Chris speaking about creating ritual. And so I'm, I, I'm sitting here and I'm realizing, oh, you had this amazing ritual that many people don't have in that form, that yes. freedom to wail, which probably is, the most accurate sound of grief in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And then the daily piece of how do I form for myself a space that allows this to, you said, transform you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And for you to be, for you to be, allowing that transformation yeah and I struggle with the word allowing in this in this area because it didn't feel like I had a choice people said that to me a lot like god you're so open with your grief and I really didn't feel like I had a choice like it just it broke me you know and the and I'm and just kind of naturally who I am I'm, I'm a very like emotive person um 
So it didn't really feel like I had a choice. I guess I, I did. I mean, we all do, right? But it definitely felt like it was coming from something much deeper and much bigger than myself, um, like moving through my body. And my mom, you know, she converted to Judaism. So I didn't really know about like, my, I have two moms. So one of my moms is Jewish and like was born Jewish. And, she, and this mom's a mom who gave birth to me. And she converted like pretty late in her life. So I didn't really know about all of the Jewish morning practices. I knew about Shiva, but um, yeah, I mean, the practice of like watching her body get washed, like that practice was like incredibly intense. Um, but so, so, so powerful, important to have the ritual. I mean, that's, so, and, you know, another thing that my work is really built around is, is the ritual, the need to, to ritualize your grief. Yeah. So for you, the grieving process was something that took you, wasn't something you had control over or could manage. That was not what was happening. That's such a good way of putting it. Yeah, I definitely wasn't, I definitely couldn't manage it. <laughs> yeah, totally. And so you created ritual mm-hmm. as a way of holding it, creating space for it, and overflowed those banks. But it was a tending to create a space for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but tending to the grief. There's a difference between tending to it and um, managing it. There's a difference between attending to it and like getting through it. I'm thinking about all the different language, you know, that people use around grief. Um, I also hear a lot of like, how do I deal with it? How do I deal with this? And of course the answer is always, you just be, you don't do, you just be. But the being is so hard in such a fast-paced, you know, capitalistic culture. Um, so we really have to be intentional about it. We really have to be so intentional because it's not just going to happen. And that's why you've created. Um, well, you see, you see clients individually, and then you've also created. Is it a group mm-hmm. for people who are moving through? You, you talk about it as a metabolizing process. Yeah, so I have two um, programs and one of them is for people who are in that early stage of grief, that really that point of like, that I, like I asked Chris, like, how do I do this? That point of grief, um, one program is for them and there's an individual option. And then the other one is for people who have been living with grief for years and it's like started to suffocate them. Like it's resulted in a lot of chronic pain or what, you know, is often characterized as depression or anxiety. Um, What happens when you don't get time to attend to your grief early on or when you aren't intentional about processing the grief or most commonly when you've never been in the grief in your body. Like talk therapy really can only get so far. I went to two grief groups after my mom died and one 
was wonderful and one was not wonderful. And the one that was not wonderful, I just have this really clear image of like, we were all sitting like in chairs in a circle and everyone's body was like this with shoulders lifted up and like necks tight. And I just was looking around and I was like, why don't they say anything about what's happening in the room? <laughs> That's because they didn't know if you're not trained and that you're not, you're not seeing that necessarily in the same way. Um, and I didn't go back to that group. Like I think I went maybe twice. It was an open group. So because my body wasn't, wasn't a part of it, you know? And by that point I had already, had already been like, almost a year so I was already quite comfortable with the moving grief for myself thing and already sort of very early stages of like I think this might be my thing like in life um so yeah when did you realize and how did you realize that the suffering you had been through sensitized you I mean, I'm having the midwifery or like helping people metabolize this by supporting their connection to their body. The very fact that I like chose to do my thesis about this, something you don't do if you don't want to be in some sort of deep process with grief. (laughs) So, um, and specifically my curiosity was, you know, what is the experience of body-based practitioners who have had a, an opening or an awakening of their spirituality following the loss of a person. Um, and I did organic in, interviews that involved movement and art and, you know, and that process inspired, like was kind of the original process of what I do with my clients now. So when I did my thesis, because when you don't, until you see it, you don't really know that it's not just you. Um, and when I did my thesis and I witnessed, and it was like, I mean, it was incredible. These people, they, it was only four people and they all did, you know, a series of individual interviews and a group interview and seeing and hearing and witnessing and feeling the changes that took place over a month or two. With the people, your participants. Yes. Yeah. The participants. And many of them saying, you know, and it's important to name that they were all like, I struggle with the term like embodied or not embodied, but they were all like yoga teachers or dance therapists or they were like in their bodies a lot of the time. And every single one of them was like, I, either I didn't know I had all this until this moment, or I thought I had processed this, but here's more. <laughs> Or, wow, this specific process is is what I need. This specific thing. Um, wow. People who are embodied can also avoid this yeah. very easily. Just because you're a dancer and a dance therapist doesn't mean that you aren't avoiding your grief. Totally. And just because you've, like, there were people that had, like, you know, actively use their bodies to process their grief right after the loss. It's a constant tending to. You're never not going to be grieving. You're never not going to have this thing in your body. <laughs> but yeah, that like being embodied, quote unquote, doesn't doesn't like give you a pass from 
um, experiencing the results of unprocessed grief, you know. It's a specific process that you use to guide people in mm -hmm. to their grieving. Yeah, so I always start with some kind of meditation or grounding something because just to settle the nervous system, just to arrive, I think there always needs to be some kind of arrival point before jumping into the grief. I invite people to just sense where their grief is in their bodies, like in that meditation. Depending on what's going on, it's either followed by just some sharing or goes into some sort of guided movement. And then unguided movement, so more like an authentic movement, witnessing experience. Um, and then people usually respond to that with some kind of writing or art making. And then we come back and we verbally process. So it's really important to me to go into the body right away. Because usually, I mean, especially at the beginning, when I first start working with someone, our defenses are up a little bit when it's a new person and a new process. A 12-week program, and that's why it is 12 weeks, because it takes a, like probably several sessions to get the nervous system settled enough to actually move the grief. Um, what I notice from that process is that things come through that wouldn't, I don't think would come through if you're, if you're just talking about the grief um, or that if you're, if you start with, just start in a more verbal place. I usually do some kind of verbal check-in, but I try to keep it pretty embodied and creative most of the time um, because you don't get enough of that. There's so little spaces where, where people get to just be without having to talk about their experience. Real magic that, that comes from. Reminded of where you began with talking about slowing mm -hmm. as opposed to accelerating and how very often the acceleration takes the form of premature naming mm. experience. Mm -hmm. right? Tell me what you're feeling before you know what you're feeling. Yes. Before it's the nuances of it are allowed to unfold like a wave or something or a series of waves like describe the wave what's moving so <laughs> that's part of it is like you can't cap you can't capture it you have to follow it you've got to follow the sensations to where they lead you which again you know brings up that bravery of trusting trusting your body to lead you into not like break open or to not be so overwhelming that you won't be able to get back up like, I think that's really the, the core fear um, so much of our grief avoidance. It's like, what if, I, what if I'll just be broken and I just won't be able to deal again and again? What I see is people disprove that for themselves, you know, in the span of like an hour or something. Um, it takes bravery to get started, but, it's, but I think as soon as you start, you know what's possible. The process of feeling broken and feeling raw and then picking yourself back up and going forth. And you know that you actually didn't break open. You're actually still here and that you actually might feel a little more resilient and a little bit more able to be present in your life. 
Yeah, the fear, allowing oneself to feel fully. <sighs> and breaking, breaking happens when we constrict and bind and limit. Yeah. That's when there's a break between our body and our mind, or there's a break between our heart and our voice. Yeah. And I think there's also a fear of, you know, being seen, being witnessed. There's nothing more vulnerable than being seen grieving. Nothing, there's nothing more raw, I think, than that. And especially if, you know, you're just meeting someone, it's like, I'm supposed to be in my grief and you're supposed to see me? <laughs> like, what I talk about is like getting to that point of being of like starting and like starting the process, you've already like jumped over so much, so many waves. Like you've already been brave enough to reach out, apply, have a conversation, pay someone money, start the process. Your body is already ready to, to a degree trusting that it will still carry you to the places that you don't know yet. Yeah. feels like there's a connection between the courage and the acquisition of trust in process, in one's own body, in resilience. Mm-hmm. Totally. There's a certain way that grief and bravery can be conflated um, in a way that I think is really toxic, which is like, God, you're so brave to like get through this or like you're so brave you were so strong like you just keep going and that is not what I'm talking about at all <laughs> I don't think it's what you're talking about at all but right. I wanted to that's more um that's more um supporting presenting self right mm-hmm. Being, supporting the presenting self that's got it together and managing and you're talking about having a conversation with an entirely different aspect of the person Mm -hmm. yes and like yeah it is fucking brave to to be vulnerable in your grief that has nothing to do with the part that can like zip up and go to work and pretend like you're okay um but there needs to be both like there's a model of grief called like the dual process model but I refer to it often because it's a really helpful visual and basically it's a zigzag. And on one side is like grief and on one side it's not grief basically. So what's like, what's your grief time? What's your not grief time? And your not grief time is you're doing the dishes, you're bringing your kids to school, you're going to work, you're doing your taxes, whatever. Your grief time is your ritual time, your grief group, your therapist, your walk with a friend that's grieving, you're like whatever that is, but that we need both. Spend too much time with your grief, and you're not you're not really be pre- being present in the rest of your life. And if you spend too much time in the rest of your life, then you're ignoring your grief and allowing it to get stuck. Um, so we need to you know zigzag between both. Um, and notice I'm not saying balance both because I don't really think it's like a balance necessarily. Um, but we just have to do both. We have to find the time for both in our lives. You talked about how your creative process expanded and also about how your spirituality 
expanded the grief process you usher people into is one that's going to transform and create changes in suffering in creativity and potential spirituality can you speak to that from your own experience but also as a guide yeah so I'll say for myself that I didn't know that spirit existed until my mom died I have that experience of connecting with this like greater than us energy and the light I think is coming in from your window right now and it looks very much like spirit over your face so that's very cool when she died and when that and when I lost her she started to visit me um and I started to sense particular parts of my body like I like I mentioned earlier as connected to my grief and as specifically connected to like her visitation. So I know that, for example, when my right shoulder blade has a particular like vibrating sensation, I know that she's here. So there's a, so there's a role of like trusting my body and trusting, like trusting the experience of being held. And, all, and like all of a sudden it was, it was there. All of a sudden, it was like seeing the world with a new perspective and a new lens. All of a sudden, I understood that I'm not, and we are not alone. And we're not even like running the show. Um, in the process of doing my thesis, I did art alongside them. And much of the art that I created was like it was showing this feeling of of channeling felt like channeling that was happening like something was coming through me that wasn't entirely whether that was my mom or whether that was you know some other thing that's that people call god and many other things it was definitely coming through me and continues to come through me um it's very subtle it's very very subtle and i had to get really I had to get really still to be with changes in vibration, with those changes in energy, with the process of letting that force move me. And I see versions of this happen a lot with people that I work with. It's not uncommon for people to have images of their person in their in their moving. It's not uncommon to have you know, they'll like leave a session and a sign will, will come, whatever they feel is a sign, whether that's something from nature or something else. Um, it changes your perspective in the living, breathing world to go into like the depths of your grief, to, to let your body guide you into that. It really, I always call it like the underworld. Like it really is very much like Hades. <laughs> and to let your body guide you through that and so and to know that when you actually go that deep that's when you come up that there is no like connection with spirit without be, like going to the depth of darkness a lot of what I do is also normalizing that for people and not just like people that I work with but because of who I am people are always talking to me about grief <laughs> like friends and family and whatever um and Literally anything that happens in grief is, yes, 
of course. <laughs> like I'm never surprised ever um, because I understand that one, we're not running the show and two, that there is another realm. There are, there are like our people die, but they don't, the energy doesn't die. Um, and it changes over time. There's, there's something that happens a few years down the line, which is the grief of not grieving, right? Like the grief of, of it changing. When I ended up going to physical therapy for my hip, which was amazing, I was like, oh, shit, I don't have that pain anymore. Like, what am I gonna do? <laughs> am I still grieving? <laughs> And I laugh about it, but that's like a real thing that happens, you know? So it's really, it's really a process of continuing to be quiet enough to sense the subtleties and to know that the subtleties are gonna be different. They're not gonna be the same year to year, week to week. But I know and I trust that the relationship that I have with my mom is, is there regardless. And that it's true for everybody who's lost a person. And I'm lucky in that we have and had a relationship that um, really any like doors that hadn't been open in her life. I didn't have any questions. I didn't have any things that I hadn't asked her. I didn't, there was nothing that I needed her to tell me before she died. And that's rare, that's a rare gift. Um, and it was not a complex loss. She's my mom, she loved me, she died pretty much the end. There's so many other, there's so much other loss that's so complex. And so, yeah, there's just so many other factors that could happen, whether that's that you didn't really have a relationship or there was an abusive relationship or you're grieving them, but they're not dead. Like there's so many other, other things. Um, but I think that because I, I do have that felt experience of it being really safe to be in my body and in my grief and to be held in that experience, um, then I can do it for other people until they can do it for themselves. And I do believe that everyone can do it for themselves. People can get to the point where they can mm -hmm. and do it. As I'm sitting here with you, I'm feeling like so much impulse to move. Currently I'm tuning into like hamstring and like low yeah. back and I'm like, we're talking about grief. What's going on with you? And just feeling like, oh, yeah. yeah. I want to encourage anyone who's listening to notice what's coming up and give, give oneself permission to move with what arises. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I don't know if this is true in all of your interviews, but like if someone's talking about their body body for however long <laughs> and it's about grief like all of us have grief all of us have bodies so of course stuff is going to come up so be a lovely thing to listen to I have a practice that I invite people to do called a grief walk um, which is something you can do with a friend or with yourself um, where you tune into the grief and walk for as long as you want and then tune into the grief afterward and just notice what changed. So we a lovely thing to listen to like while you're doing the sol a solo grief walk. Wow, that sounds wonderful. I'd love to share that with people. 
one of the things that I noticed, um, I really noticed in our conversation is your laughter. And there's this weightedness for me in listening to you, truth thing, or there's acknowledgement of the heaviness, but then there's also these moments where there's laughter and you have this way of laughing where you're like, hey, like, <laughs> um, and so I'm just sitting with that too, because we're talking about something deep and we're talking about something that brings up sensation and brings up and is complex and you're holding in this moment, this reality of the weight with these moments of just lightness and it's very, it's a nourishing thing mm. to be with. Thank you. I bring laughter a lot into my sessions. Like I want people to know that, that, that like moving your grief is not a, a sob story, not even most of the time. Like it's maybe 50% of the time. Other, the other time, it's like, who knows what's gonna come. But we laugh a lot because grief is fucking sad. <laughs> grief is weird. And like mm -hmm. stuff comes up that has never, often never come up before. And also like so much of the laughter is the, um, the laughter at the awful things people say. <laughs> like just the most tone deaf ways that people have of responding to grief and what else can you do but laugh really I mean yes you can ask people to be better and yes so much of my work is trying to normalize grief and all these things but but gosh if you can't laugh then it's so hard <laughs> it's so much harder to carry grief yeah the primal experience of laughing while crying is grief. Like that, that embodied sensation is, is grief, I think, is laughing while crying. Because it's all at once. We think that it has to be either or, but in that moment, our body shows us that it actually doesn't be all of it. Is there anything that feels like it wants more attention? I'm noticing in myself that I was talking about time earlier and I think that I was talking much more quickly at the beginning. And I wonder if that was my own response to not wanting to feel my grief while I talked about it. But the more that we talked about it, it was easier to slow down. I guess offer that to anyone listening um, as the reminder that that may be happening to you and that you can, can be with it and you can slow down. I'm so impressed by what you're doing, inspired by it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Good, good work, necessary work. Yeah, totally. It's like totally my soul's work, you know. One thing I'll offer for folks um, that's been really helpful for me is the practice of Vipassana meditation. Um, I don't know if you've ever done that practice before but um it's like the single most powerful practice for me in terms of grief in terms of, of a meditation practice because it's all about being with impermanence and being with the sensations as they move 
And I did a Vipassana, like a 10 day Vipassana retreat the year after my mom died, I think. Um, and it was so painful, it was so hard, but it was so, so good, so good. And so much came through from that. And I've restarted my Vipassana practice just recently after like all of this grief from the upheaval when things really are unclear. So that's an offering. Yeah. Because grief is so both unique and universal, it's easy to think about grief as like a sort of a time-limited, time-bound thing that happens after you have a loss. Grieving really can be a doorway to not just a different relationship to spirituality, but a different relationship to your boundaries. Like not everybody gets to see you in your grief. Not, not everybody deserves to see you in your grief. And a different relationship with your body in general and with people in your life. Like grief is the ultimate truth teller. Spaces for grief with heart and gradual slow tending you're teaching how grief can and should be held and sounds like also saying if it's not held that way you can find the spaces where it will be Mm -hmm. find keep searching until you find the spaces where it will be because they do exist and the relationships that you when you let yourself be in grief and be seen in your grief are so rich and so deep. It's really like, it can really be a doorway to knowing yourself and to knowing how you how to be soft in raw times, which is a life skill. Like we're never not going to need to know how to grieve. There will always be something to grieve. It's like preparing your body for life. Moving grief is preparing your body for life. I think you said it's a truth teller. Mm -hmm. And you also had the word teacher. Mm -hmm. As we're kind of coming to a close in this conversation, it feels important um, kind of look upon the grief as teacher. If we can hold that and have the courage to move it and to weep it or to laugh or to be still to slow down and let go of any goal with our grief what an amazing teacher for how to live with one another how to live with any other things that are coming up that are uncomfortable totally today i'm like that that's such a gift to to know that your courage in tending this mm-hmm. has kind of moved you into this mission, into this calling. I see it, I see it being something to bring so much hope and so much comfort. Be with and witness without trying to rush or change or fix. Just to be. And what you're talking about is, is I think, the very common and real want to protect against our own suffering, our own grief, our own losses. 
that's what's happening when you're when your people are being shitty that's what's happening like it hurts you but it's really about them trying to protect from your broken heart touching theirs so one little bit at a time all <laughs> gently and slowly and maybe not even all of us but we'll get to a point where we can learn that that's not actually that won't actually protect you at all but thank you for saying that mm-hmm. yeah it's been quite a journey kim yeah quite a journey yeah but that's why i trust myself to to do it and you trust that it works totally We're not focused on the process or the progress, but like just seeing you now, your grief, I'm I'm like getting emotional about it. It's like I'm witnessing the flourishing of the grief, not the suffering, right? Yeah. Look at me now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I celebrate you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. I'm ready for it. There's so much grieving that needs to happen. (laughs) what is all the grief that needs to be moved (laughs) that's right that's like three episodes yeah yeah beautiful thank you thank you Thank you to Grace Herman for being a light, a source of laughter and hope in conversations that so many of us fear and avoid. For more information about Grace and the group she's offering, including one coming up in March for therapists, please check out the show notes for a link to her website. Thank you to Josie Rothwell for the opening credits and Erin Kate Dunnick for the closing credits. And thank you to my listener, who I hope was able to notice and move in the face of grief with us today. I'm Kim Rothwell, and I'm welcoming you to the Return to Embodiment.